Welcome to the St. Mark's Lutheran Church by the Narrows podcast channel. The sermon you are about to hear is from our worship service on December 4th, 2022. For more information about the community and ministries of St. Mark's Lutheran Church by the Narrows, you can visit our website, smlutheran.org. There you will find the full online worship service from which this sermon is taken. And if you would like to give gifts to help sustain the ministries at St. Mark's, you'll find information on how to do that there as well. And now, here's Pastor Hallie Parkins with the Gospel reading. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the third chapter. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him in all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. A little over a year ago, my friend Kevin and I were backpacking through the Entiat Valley system in the North Cascades. And for those of you who are familiar with Holden Village and that part of the North Cascades, we were in the valley system just below Holden. So if you were to hike up to Copper Basin and continue up and over the saddle, you'd be in the Entiat Valley. So when we began our hike, we walked through miles and miles of charred forest. Most of the valley had been burned by the Wolverine fire and the Tin Pan fire before that. Life had just begun to regrow on the charred trunks. There were mushrooms and shrubs emerging, though most of the landscape was stark and ashy. We had looped the trail up and around through several basins with long climbs to see the larch trees turning their golden color and wide vistas of the Cascades and returned again to the river valley to camp for a couple nights. And I know the wilderness is always an adventure. And three full days in, we had both braved more challenges than I think either of us had expected from uh, that trip. So the morning of the fourth day, we awoke with some relief and expectation that we had survived another night and we'd be making it out that day. We started boiling water for coffee and feeling the gratitude that last night was not our last night and beginning to pack up when we started hearing a howling. 
We'd been told there was a pack of coyotes in the valley. So we stood captivated and listened until my friend picked up his hiking poles and started whacking them together. And the howling stopped and the forest was dead quiet, like eerily quiet. So later, a couple miles down the trail, we learned that what we had heard was not coyotes, but a confirmed pack of wolves, four in total, that had surrounded a hunter in the valley the week before. And ever since, I've held that moment as a kind of John the Baptist call in the wilderness, strange and scary, both ancient and newly erupting on the horizon, a call you to pay attention, howling cry. And it is no mistake we hear John the Baptist's cry of proclamation in the wilderness. We know that it is in the wild places that God shapes and forms God's people. The wilderness is a place of incredible vulnerability and risk, and it continues constantly to expose our great need for God, for God's power, for God's incarnational life, for God's love and continues to expose us to the need of God's great love and breaks our hearts open for love again for the sake of the world. At the beginning of the church year in 2019, we chose scripture centered in wilderness to ground us in the year ahead. And it is unforgettable, really, our journey with that scripture and community through nothing we could have ever imagined and still through such vulnerability and risk and need for God's love. We know wilderness, we've walked wilderness, and not just the places we seek mountains and high places and thin places. Here we are again at the beginning of the church here in the wilderness, now with a theme, our song from age to age, grounding our year together. It is a riff on Psalm 119, where the songwriter praises God, for your faithfulness continues from generation to generation, a passage I trust will continue in the year ahead to remind us of God's faithfulness and our response as people who live in that great and vulnerable risk of a trust in God into the great unknown. The beginning of the church year always takes us into the wilderness with John the baptizer uh, and that prophet heralding the coming of God as much as he haunts Advent with his strange cry. As Debbie Thomas says, to locate ourselves at the outskirts of security and power is to confess our neediness in the starkest terms. In the wilderness, we have no choice but to wait and watch as if our lives depend on God showing up. In this season of Advent, especially today with our wild prophet man, we stop, watch, and pay attention because something incredible is going to happen. Each year, just as we are getting settled into the warm and comfortable, cozy Advent season, John the Baptist erupts on the scene. He's a young prophet wearing the spiritual lineage of many prophets, echoing the words of old that prepare the way and then proclaiming words anew that pinch and provoke. For some gospel reason, we are always offered this particular guide through the wilderness, a strange prophet companion, a harbinger or haunt to go with us. And there are some things to keep in mind when we talk about prophets, especially when we encounter one annually who is so odd and persistent. Prophets are always caught up in the heart of God, 
in the immediate and urgent need of the heart of God. They are fiercely concerned with God's unconditional love. And they're never spokespeople for God, but they do encounter God and live a life connected into a community, into people who are gathering together. They live always in service of people. And there are prophets that live close to kings and other prophets that live close on the periphery, on the outskirts of power and safety. From first glance, we know our John the Baptist lives on the fringe, allies with the common people and speaks against royal and religious authority. It is a lonely calling to be a prophet. They're often isolated and alone, likely unsuccessful and completely inadequate to complete the task at hand. But they are empowered or invaded by the pathos or the feeling life of God. In other words, the feeling life of God, the heart of God, invades the prophet's own feeling life. Prophets are always concerned with God's love. In the same breath, it is also to say that God's own heart has been and continues to be deeply feeling towards us and towards the world. In the first word, God drew close to the world in a love so great and so deeply feeling. And with the prophets, God pours out God's heart again and again. John the Baptist, a particular prophet, heralds God's drawing close again, God invading the prophet's heart to share the feeling life of God. Because when you catch a glimpse of the pathos of God, how could you not be changed? How could your hearts not be so full of love for those so deeply hurting in this world? You brood of vipers. And I understand John the Baptist's good news feels about as welcome as hearing a pack of wolves when you are the only two people in the middle of a remote and isolated wilderness. And now I can understand and hold that moment as witnessing animal life returning to a devastated forest with enough plant life then to support an ecosystem. And it's a moment I hold awe for, but also fear. It's a strange orientation this particular good news that God is coming into the world because this good news from John the Baptist first and foremost is aimed at those in power. John the Baptist gives the proclamation to those who move through the world without being affected by lives of people on the margins. His words are to and for people who are oblivious or apathetic to the pain of people it is aimed at those religious authorities who reinforce the structure of hierarchy that maintains oppression and systemic injustice. And to be fair, John the Baptist, at his finest, has all the finesse and song from age to age musicality of a beginner French horn player to proclaim such a message. And I can say that growing up with my sister who played the French horn, she'd probably flip it and say the cello has all the finesse uh, in this metaphor. And that is the beauty, I think, all this beginner music play uh, language, as strange and raw as it is. And John the Baptist's conviction of the feeling heart of God pouring out in love for the world. As Mark Gravrock pointed out this week, we love to proclaim and celebrate Mary's song from age to age as good news. We love the Magnificat, love that God is with a young unmarried pregnant woman living in incredible risk and vulnerability. 
love that God is with the outcast, the lowly, and will turn the world topsy-turvy. We are comfortable with that good news proclaimed and sung to and for people who live on the margins of society. And this good news is also for people in power. It's for those of us who are powerful because it is life and liberation and love embodied. It holds us and claims us in hope and we would rather turn to other places like shame or guilt, inward, inward occupations or outward toward judgment and blame. And the deeper message in this great turn, we see and pay attention to how desperately we are in need of the power of the incarnation in the world, especially us, especially now, whose hearts again are filled with the love of God, so vulnerable, so risky, so wild, God's heart pouring out in our home. And for that, for love, for our own hearts, feeling the pathos of God, and give thanks to God. Amen.